0: Well, we're in the book of Exodus, but before I get into that, I wanted to thank Venice for coming. Uh, It's just awesome to hear her. It's a a little bit of a heartbreak for me and just listening to her testimony and hearing about our kids. We've, Sharon and I have adopted, uh, foster adopted four children. So of our six, we have four of them. And so we've been there, understand it, and uh, it's no easy task. But when you hear these stories of how the Lord can turn that completely around for his glory. It just, it just builds in you sort of a brokenness at the goodness of God. Amen? That's one thing. But the second thing I really appreciated her coming is she now gave me a reason why I talk so fast. <laughs> I'm from New York. Here you have it. Okay, so now I get it. I, I, this is a revelation this morning as to why I talk so fast. Okay. So here we go. Exodus chapter 9. Would you stand with your Bibles open? As we take in the Word of God and we stand in honoring God's Word, the Bible says that God honors His Word above His name. This, this is a high thing that we get to read every time we read it, every time we listen to it, every time we memorize it, every time we talk about it. It's God speaking to us. Do you believe that? Because it is. That's not just something we're making. It is. This, the, the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's different than any other book you'll ever pick up. When you pick up your Bible and you read it, God the Holy Spirit is going to take the, the truth that's there and build it into your life and my life in such a way that it transforms us more and more to be like Jesus, and we want to be like Jesus, Amen. Amen. So this morning we're in Exodus. We're going to kind of glean from Exodus nine through eleven when God plagues a nation. So here we go. I'm going to skip th- through some verses in these th- three chapters. So Exodus nine thirteen, we read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him." So this is an ongoing uh, process. Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Chapter 9, verse 29. So Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my my hands to the Lord. Because he was praying all the way through this. Moses is praying for Pharaoh. I will spread my hands out to the Lord, the thunder will cease. There will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son." and your son's son, the mighty things that I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. And now in chapter 11, verse 4, Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall, I, shall a dog move its tongue, against man or beast, again, that you may know that the Lord does, does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. So this morning we want to talk about that you may know that I am the Lord. And So uh, our 46, we're going to read this as our responsive reading. So I'm going to read the odd and... Uh, the first and odd verses, if you would together read the second and even, and then we get to ch- verse 11, we're going to all s- say that one. Here we go. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be in the room, and though the mountains into the midst of the sea. Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, selah, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Say, let me just take a moment, and think about it. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots, the chariot in the fire. Be still All of us together, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. So Lord, we we give ourselves right now in heart and mind and thinking, even we're fellowship with you in prayer just as we go through the word that you would bless the things I prepared. Break them fresh Lord. We are hungry. We're hungry to have your word. You said man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So feed us as the deer pants for the water brooks so our souls thirst for you. To know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. To live out our faith in such a way that the, the Evidence of who you are shines out of our lives, please. That we are salt and light. So equip us this morning, educate us. And we're praying, Lord, for anyone that's here, anyone that's watching, that has not come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, that this morning you would speak to their hearts as only you can. Draw them to yourself that they might receive the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life through putting their faith, trusting you, in what you've accomplished on the cross, what you promised through faith, and that, Lord, what you will deliver on. You will deliver them from their sin and give to them life, even this morning as we go through the word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So our outline over these last few studies is the Lord our God is the solution, not the problem. Evil is overcome by the sovereign Lord God. And we are set free through the sacrificed Lamb of God. So Exodus is a picture of our redemption. And we're looking when when God plagues a nation, when that nation is our nation. So we're looking at a few things that apply to us as the Bible always does to the things that are going on in our lives. So that you may know that we looked at no other gods, no difference, and no compromise. This this is the final one this morning. That you may know that I am the Lord in in these plagues. So the Egyptians, chapter 7, verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Pharaoh, once it says, Pharaoh shall know that I am the Lord. And then to Pharaoh it says, may know. That Pharaoh may know that there is none, no one like the Lord our God. That I am the Lord in the midst of the land. It's interesting. He it says that, I, that these three have to deal with the, with the earth, the planet. So he says, that I am the Lord in the midst of the land that there is none like me in all the earth, that the earth is the Lord's, and the psalmist says, and the fullness thereof. So this, these are being, God's doing this, that they may know these things, Pharaoh, his people. And then it says that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. The Lord makes a difference between his people and the people who are not his people. And we should live with that with joy and thanksgiving that God has done what he's done for us to redeem us. It's not like we deserve that, but God did that for those who will be, believe what he says and follow him. And it's interesting in the plagues, God even says in the midst of one of them, Hey, those who feared the Lord, they may not have been his people, but they feared God. And they, they did something that they might not have done normally. And we'll see that this morning. And then here's the, here's the final one that you may know. That I may know. And now that in us knowing that our children may know. See, that's what God is doing in this whole thing. Even with the, the things that we've been going through as a nation in the last couple of years. That's what God's doing. Is that not fantastic or what? That you may know. And not only that, that your children may know. And I'm going to spend a little time on that this morning. Because this is something that is so deeply ingrained in the heart of any parent. That our children might know the Lord. That our children might follow our faith. That our children might know, why am I following him? Why? This is what happened. And God says, you tell your children, you keep telling your children, and you tell them what happened. That we are bondage in Egypt. And God delivered us. Our testimony and the blood of the Lamb is the strength that God wants to impart to our kids in their testimony that they know. I'm already getting off track here. And my heart's moved. <laughs> So 9:13 the Lord said to Moses rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews let my people go that they may serve me for at this time I will send all my plagues listen to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you, that you may know that there is no one like there's none like me in all the earth God's emphasized now a little bit stronger all my plagues to your very heart This is the seventh. There's been six already. God is seeking to get to the heart of the issue and to get to the heart of Pharaoh. And so, these dealings with God in Pharaoh's heart are cumulative, if I can use that word, if I'm saying it correctly. They're culminating, depending on his response, as to what's going to happen to Pharaoh. And so, All these are stacking up against him. God's testimony to him. God's testimony. God's testimony. They're stacking up and all will culminate, as we read, in death. You see, this is exactly what the unrepentant sinner experiences in the hardening of their hearts. It's cumulative. God's not going to stop talking. God's not going to stop demonstrating. God's going to continue because God's desire is that no one would perish. His long suffering. God is wanting all to come to what? Repentance. That's the drive. That's the reason. And so interesting, in the seventh and eighth plague, we get this word for the first time among the plagues, and the last, sin. And so... In Exodus 9, 27, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are are wicked. And you're going, wow, that's a great confession. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, this is verse 34 of chapter 9, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. Nothing changed in his heart. That's the problem. And so for the unrepentant sinner, the hard heart will experience a greater difficulty in trying to run up against God. And God will make it more difficult. So he says, he sinned yet more. And he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go. As the Lord had spoken to Moses. Now, interesting, you get to the eighth plague. Chapter 10, verse 16. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. Pharaoh, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. Verse 20, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of Israel go. See, Pharaoh continually, and this is one thing we're gonna be looking at this in, in our next study. He continually denied and then minimized his great sin before the Holy One of Israel. That's what Pharaoh was doing. He was standing up against God And let me say, whenever you do that, you lose. That's just the way it is. God is God. His truth is truth. And when you're running up against the truth, it's to your own detriment. There's a saying that Ravi Zacharias said, quote, Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay, unquote. Tragically, read the quote, tragically, Ravi Zacharias did not take his own words to heart. I don't know if you know that or not. His sin found him out. He died in disgrace. The ongoing hiding of his sin, which has been been proved through research, destroyed, listen, destroyed his legacy. That's what happens. And it's tragic. It's tragic. It's not just to one, it's, throughout Christendom, throughout leadership. There's something that's being hidden, and many times for years. Many times it's sexual immorality that gets men. I love what my pastor used to say, Pastor Chuck. He'd say, Satan got another one. He was broken over it. He realized there's a battle going on. I preach this whether you agree with it or not doesn't matter to me, really. I do not believe it's ever appropriate for you as a married man to be spending time alone with with another woman. Ever. I tell our staff that, our guys. In fact, recently we had that conversation. You cannot do that. It's not worth flirting with such danger. So, Ravi, Proverbs 28 says this, He who covers his sin... Will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. I want to move on, but take to heart, my brothers, I speak to you as a man. Take to heart, you need to be so overboard in protecting your relationship with your wife and your family that you will do nothing in spending your time with any other woman except in settings where it's safe. Say, say again. Women I too, yeah. Verse 15. Now, if this is again, <laughs> if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth, but indeed, for this purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. So this is this is heavy stuff here, let me tell you. Paul gives the commentary in Romans chapter 9. So I'm not going to go in depth. I'm going to do a study on Romans 9. Uh, you can pray for me about that. It's, it, this, is a, this is a difficult, and it's caused division in many of Christendom. What's he saying? What's going on here? But let me offer you just a couple things for us this morning. In for, indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you. God did not say to you, but in you. This was not some external exhibition of God's power to entertain Pharaoh. Well, let me show you what God can do. No, this was an inner revelation of God personally for Pharaoh that exposed the real truth about Pharaoh's hardening of his heart towards God, leading to a just judgment. And that my name may be declared in all the earth. He said, this is the reason. That through Pharaoh, God's name would be declared in all the earth. That Pharaoh, and here's here's a possibility. I believe it's a possibility, a potential. That Pharaoh might turn to God in repentance and submission and obedience to God. That is not what happened. But I believe it could have. And so God's name was declared, but in Pharaoh, it's a great warning against sinning and hardening our hearts toward God. This powerful, prevailing man over Egypt. But note, I want you to note this. This is not what happened to Pharaoh, but it did happen to many of the kings we read about in the Bible. It did happen. Nebuchadnezzar is one you probably are familiar with. Then you have King Cyrus, King Darius, King Artaxerxes, the king of Nineveh, and just to name some. Can God get to those hearts? You bet he can. What's important? Are you going to soften your heart or harden your heart to God? Pharaoh is a declaration of God's sovereignty and Pharaoh's accountability to the sovereign Lord God over all the earth. Ezekiel says, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Listen, here's the thing here. You would have been cut off. In other words, God let Pharaoh live. That's what's going on here. He let him live. And the deal is that God let us live too. That the truth is that God could have been done with me A long time before I came to repentance. Someone asked, why should God put up with your sin for one more second? And in and of ourselves, there's no reason we can give. Why should He? But in God, in God, that's the only thing we can connect God's forgiveness and mercy to is Him, His nature, and who He is. Not what I've offered and not what I am. The wage of sin is death. See, it's the revelation of God that pertains to us, through the gospel. To show his power in us that he might show the world through us. And his name be declared through us by the mercy of God. God did not send Jesus as an exhibition to entertain us. He sent him as his, himself to expose the inner part of our life hearts before him for us for us you know this well i want to read it with you john chapter 3 as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up the cross that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for god so you can say it with me for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what Eternal life. Now I said it fast and you kept up with me. That's great. Okay. <laughs> Verse 70. Now listen, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Thank God. But that the world through him might be saved. For God did not send to. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light, because why? Their deeds were evil. Don't shine the light on my heart. That's a hardening of the heart. As God begins his work of love and mercy and exposing, it's to bring us to that place, as it says here. Everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. He responded to God in obedience. Are you not thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what he's saying. So it says, but indeed for this purpose I've raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name be declared on all the earth. And verse 70, as yet you exalt yourself. That's the problem. You exalt yourself against my people, in that you will not let them go. So Pharaoh would have none of God. Verse 18. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. This is epic. Had not been in Egypt. Now as you read through these plagues, you realize God said this on a few occasions. It's epic. Never happened. Nothing like this. You'd think that would get someone's attention. But not the hard heart. Because the hard heart says, I am the master of my fate. No matter how bad it might get. Verse 924 it says, So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail so heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Never happened before. Chapter ten Verse 6, they shall fill your houses, locusts, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your father nor your father's father have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. In other words, epic. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt, verse 14, and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They They were very severe previously. There had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. Epic never happened. You'd think it would get the attention. Chapter 11, verse 6. Then there shall be a great cry, the death. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. Epic. You're going to be seeing more Pharaoh. You're going to see something that you're going to and and it's never happened before. It will happen. So it reminds me of these other epic prophecies of things yet to come. In the Old Testament, in Joel, about the, the 8th century B.C., he's he's dealing with a locust problem, prophetic. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. The day of the Lord is a vast subject, but the day of the Lord is coming. And God even said in another prophecy, why are you wanting the day of the Lord? It's not going to be fun. It's going to be like, so he says there, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of its clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people shall come, great and strong, the, the like of whom have never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. It's going to be bad. Daniel, about the 5th century B.C., At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands, watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even at times, it's called Jacob's trouble. It's coming. It hasn't come. It's prophetic of what's coming to to this planet. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Take heed. And then Jesus put it this way. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. God is in control. But these things are coming for us. Why? That you may know that the Lord is God. And as a refuge in knowing that He is the Lord, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a God who's on the throne. We have a God who's going to fulfill all these purposes for our good and His glory. And in that we find our refuge. My refuge is in the Lord. My refuge in who He is. So in chapter nine again, therefore send now and gather your livestock. And hail's going to come, verse 20. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock. Yeah, so there were those in the world, if you will, in Egypt who said, hold on a second, I've seen enough. <laughs> I'm going to gather them, I'm going to do. And you know, these things that are so difficult are God's catalyst many times to get somebody to think differently than the world has told them. Even though they're still in the world. And that is happening in our nation. Then the Lord gave those who feared his word. In other words, before God meted it out, he gave them time to get their cattle safe, to get themselves out of the way. And God is gracious in that way. So Moses stretched out his hand, and, and it happened. In verse 9, chapter 9 27, Pharaoh sent a call for Moses, pray for me. Moses prayed for him. Now the flax and the barley, verse 31, were, not, were struck, but those that were yet to, to come up out of the ground were said This is, again, God's mercy in all this wretched judgment stuff. There's still food underground that's going to come up for the people to feed them. And God does that. Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, spread out his hands, and yet he sinned more and more. You get to chapter 10, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and I... For I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So again, this, lo- this, this uh, plague of locusts, depicted as a man, this one place. Pharaoh, verse 7, Pharaoh, this is interesting, Pharaoh's servant said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the, men, let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? I mean, come on. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to, to them, go serve the Lord your God. Who are, who are the ones that are going? Now, he already knows that. He's just sort of doing his thing. And Moses said, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, the Lord had better be with you. It's like, yeah, right. It's like, what? Don't you get it? The Lord better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. He's trying to warn them. Not so, verse 11, not so. Go now, you who are men. Notice, this is a subtle suggestion. A cunning suggestion. And serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's bread. Here's the suggestion. It's cunning. Leave your families to Pharaoh. Men go, leave your families to Pharaoh. And I speak to my brothers and sisters, My brothers here again this morning. We will not do that. We are not going to leave our families to Pharaoh. We are not going to leave our children to Pharaoh. And he said, don't take your children. Don't let them experience the rigors of the wilderness. Don't deprive them of the luxuries of Egypt. You go, it's fine. But leave them. And he actually uses a warning. To all of us, our children need to see us submitting our lives in obedience to God. Plain and simple. Moses would have none of it. No, we're all going. And Moses gained a little courage here through the process. We're going. Our flocks, our children, our wives, we're all going. Our children not only need to see us submitting, but they need to see how we respond to difficulties. What do we do when things get tough? What do we do in the wilderness? And these things are the things that our children need to see because that's life. Our children must be directed in knowing the Lord. Now, obviously that is caught more than taught. But listen, the catching of it has to do with the teaching of it. That's why God said in Deuteronomy, "You teach." first of all, you, you, you do it and then you teach your children. Deuteronomy 6, you need to read that parents when you get home. All of us. God's saying, you obey me. You do these things. You know my commandments. You keep them. And then you tell your children. And when they say, why is this happening? You say, well, this is what God did. And that's why we saw the hand of God. We experienced the deliverance of God. We've been redeemed. We've been brought in the wilderness, protected through it. And I need to tell my children my testimony, as I've already said. And you need to tell your children your testimony. And then we need to live it out. That they may know our God. The world says don't make your children go to church. My parents made me go to church. I had no option. But they had the authority from God to do that, and they understood it. So I'm saying to parents, myself as well, grandparents, you stay at it. Don't you let this world begin to sort of dilute your passion for God and you being a little radical for God. Don't lose your edge. Stay sharp. How? It's not complicated. Read your Bible. Pray with your children. Stay in fellowship. Stay in the word of God. The basics. God gave those to us for our sake, not his. Because he knows that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I had this thought, and I probably shared it with some of you. Maybe I even shared it up front here. I don't remember. I'm too old. (laughs) But, you know, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. And I was thinking about that one day, and I thought, you know, when you start out some project like remodeling your house, You know, it seems like one day is a thousand years. Is it ever going to be done? Is it ever going to be over? And then when you get done, you look back, wow. That was like one day. It's done. Yay! How many are modeling houses right now? Justin, I know. Yeah, okay. Listen, remodeling a house is exhausting. But so is parenting. When you have that little nugget in the hospital, and then you have two of them, and then three of them, and then four of them, and then five of them, or seven of them, or ten of them. Whether it's one or ten, it's exhausting. But one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. Before you know it, your daughter's going to be saying, I do, to somebody else. Some other man, hopefully a godly man. Your son, who was my little one, my little man, now actually is, and he's taller than I am. That's not saying much, but In other words, let me tell you from experience, a thousand years is like a day. It's gone. You can't recover it. You can't recoup it. But you can sure enjoy the fruit of it. So do the labor. Stay at it. Bring every godly influence into their lives as often as long as you can. Surround your little children with the things of the Lord. Flood their minds with the word of God in word and by example. They are facing tremendous pressures today. You know that, and I know that. This is nothing new, but I think it needs repeating just for our, a little heart massage. Hey, we got to stay at it. Pastor Charles Stanley put it well. We have moved from the day of Samuel, who said, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears, to our present day when we say, Listen, Lord, for your servant speaks. We need to hear from God. What's God saying to us? How are we doing? Fellowship is so critical, as we've seen, to sustaining our rigor as people. How much more as husbands and wives? How much more as parents? Fellowship. And I think that we can be encouraged. What's happening at grassroots level in our church, in our nation, right now? I think we should be encouraged. If you haven't read or heard things, you need to, because one area huge is what's going on in our school boards. What's happening? This is what I'm seeing. We're seeing. Parents are done with the, this indoctrinating of their children in critical race theory and socially and sexually perverse agendas. They're done. It's rising up. That is an answer to our prayers to God. Turn us back to yourself. Turn us back. This, there's a strategized, attempted coup of parental authority. My My... Moms and dads, we have been given by God a mandate to raise our children in this admission of the Lord. That is way above any mandate, any board that we might see. And so I'm taking courage in what's happening. that things are being exposed for what they are, godless and disgusting. The only word I know in some of the stuff is the word, is the word disgusting. The church must be educated if we're going to be equipped. And if we're going to be educated and equipped, let me tell you, we will be encouraged. We will be encouraged. God is at work. We are with him and he with us. So we need to begin and continue to indoctrinate with sound doctrine called the Bible. We receive the word of God with all readiness of mind and search the Scriptures to see if these things are so. Don't you believe what Kevin Day says? You search the scriptures, I search the scriptures. We must also trust the Holy Spirit to teach us all things and pray for the discernment in what we do with these things. And then again, we embrace the fellowship with one another because our fellowship is what keeps us true to God and one another in all things. Do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together, and so much more as you see the approaching. Then it says, for if we sin willfully after we see the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains anything for sin. So when we begin to get scattered as as this pandemic has done and is doing, as we begin to get isolated and separated, it's easier to sin. It's easier to get wayward. It's easier to allow things. When we're together in fellowship like this, we're hearing the word together, or we're in fellowship in small groups, and we're in the word, we're praying, that's where the, the Lord just sort of keeps us. True to him and to all other things that are going on. Now, this breaks my heart. That's a dad. But some of you might feel like you've already lost your children to Pharaoh. I don't even question whether that's true. It's true. And that's the heart of a parent I want to say to you this morning, you keep praying for those kids. Don't you stop storming the the throne of grace for your children. Billy Graham. You know who he is, right? (laughs) They had five children. (laughs) Ruth Graham was asked, you ever think about divorcing your husband? You say, oh, no, no. Killing? Yes, but divorce? No. <laughs> uh, Franklin, Ned. Gigi, Anne, Ruth, Frank, Franklin, and Ned. Acquaintances from the early years remember that the Graham youngsters were less than models of decorum. <laughs> Franklin was always a handful. He became a self-described bad boy who rebelled against his mother and father's godly living. That's Franklin. He's now heading up Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. The youngest son, Ned, manifests his rebellion by turning to more than a casual use of drugs, including cocaine. Their daughter, Ruth, said, "'My father's relation with the family has been awkward.' Because he has two families, B-E, BGEA, the Billy Graham Vandalsers, and us, I always resented that. We were footnotes in books, literally. Well, we're not footnotes, we are real, living, breathing people." So she said, there was no question as far as their father loving them, but his ministry was all-consuming. And so she wrote, we have coped, she said. We have not rejected them as, or Christ. We're all involved in some form of ministry. We have done well at living up to people's expectations, but it's a burden. We were not a perfect family, and I'm tired of people saying it. I don't want to be indiscreet, but God inhabits honesty, and I'm not good at, at image management, unquote. I want to give you two poems that have been my go-to. If I can read them, I'll try and read them poetically. (laughs) Here we go. This is in Sitting by My Laughing Fire. They felt good eyes upon them and shrank within, undone. Good parents had good children, but they, a wandering one. The good folk never meant to act smug or condemn, but having prodigals just wasn't done with them. Remind them gently, Lord, how you have trouble with your children too. Isn't that awesome? Here's the second one. This is all sitting by my laughing fire. She waited for the call that never came, searched every mail for a letter or a note or card that bore his name. And on her knees at night and on her feet all day, she stormed heaven's gate in his behalf. She pled for him in heaven's high court. Be still and wait and see the word God gave. Then she knew that he would do in and for and with him that which she never could. So, doubts ignored, she went about her chores with joy, knowing, though spurned, his word was true. The prodigal had not returned, but God was God, and there was work to do. I hope that will encourage you. My mom and dad, when I was in my wayward years, and it was pretty brutal. After that, I got saved at Calvary Coast. I recommitted my life to the Lord at Calvary Coast and Mesa. My mom and dad never flew on airplanes. They flew from New York to California to make sure I wasn't in some kind of a cult. (laughs) And when they came, the question in my heart for them was, if I was me back then, and and, and I was parents of someone like me, they would have been out of my house in a flat second. I said, why didn't you kick me out? Why didn't you? And my mom said to me, and this is just how they handled it, and my mom and dad's personality is how they would handle it. She said, because I knew you wouldn't listen to us. I just wanted to know where you were. And we prayed for you. We prayed for you. I'm going, wow. <laughs> it just emphasized again, God hears the parents. Of weeping parents. God inhabits them. God says, You be still and wait and know that I'm the Lord. I will be I'm working. You pray. You pray. And as I said, we have some wayward ones ourselves. Six of our, two of our six at least. Very, very wayward. And you also, many of you have that. I'm saying this morning, pray. Stay at it. Stay at it. So, as we're gleaning from these chapters, the ninth plague is darkness. It says in verse 21 Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land, darkness which may even be felt. And he has this other suggestion, and I'm not going to go here. We talked about this last week. But he's saying, Just leave your stuff for me, leave your possessions for me. And, brothers and sisters, we need to ask ourselves a question. This dovetails so well with last week's message on wealth and health. What are we investing the things that God's given to us in the kingdom work? How am I investing that? Am I yielded to God because it all belongs to Him? Last week after the message, Sam Schaefer came up and he shared with me this First Chronicles 29 passage. And I, I so thanked him. I don't know if Sam's here, or, uh, but he just said, hey, This is what it says. All that is in heaven and earth is yours. Both riches and honor come from you. All things come from you. And and you own all of them. So God's given all these things. I hit this very briefly last week. He's given all these things. He's saying, now I want you to take these things and invest them in ways. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. What am I doing with the things God's given? Are they being invested in the things that matter? And so I'll close with this 10th plague. Chapter 11, I'll let you read that. But again, he says that you may know the Lord does make a difference. It's heading now into God's deliverance. We're talking about when God plagues a nation, when that nation's our nation. Now we get when God delivers a nation, will that be our nation? Will it be? I don't know what the Holy Spirit has for us at this point, but I'll be preparing that. But before we go into that final one, the next study that I'm going to be doing, by the way, Charlotte and I are going to a conference, a pastor's conference. Let me back that up a little bit. Some of you have come up and told us, Charlotte was in a car accident on Thursday night, and she got a sprained ankle. We don't know how, but she got sideswiped. Could have easily been a head on. And I just thought, you know what? Life is so fragile. It just re-ups again. And so we're going to a conference on Monday, uh, today, and then we'll be gone for two weeks, Uh, not quite two weeks. We're going to see our son in, in, uh, he's in the Navy in Maryland. We're going to go to a conference in California. So I would appreciate your prayers. Here's the prayer I would like. Lord, would you just keep the plane in the air? (laughs) It's a good one, right? (laughs) All the, (laughs) anyway, okay. (laughs) So as Lord is preparing them for the deliverance, In chapter 11, he tells them, get ready. Get ready. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. And I'm going to redeem you. It's right around the corner. Let's stand together and thank the Lord as Sophia and the worship team closes us in a song. So, Lord, we have had a scripture full in your word done the best I can to communicate the things I believe are on your heart. But Lord, the, the the desire that we all have is that we hear what you've said today and we're responding to that in obedience and submission to you that you would be glorified